Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. We're in Acts chapter 8 today. Grab your Bible, get comfortable. We'll be here for 30 minutes. Open it up to Acts chapter 8 as I pray. So pray with me. Father, we thank you today for your word. We love you. Your word is a lamp into our feet. It's a light into our path. And we pray today, God, that you would use your word to inspire us and instruct us, encourage us. We thank you, Lord. We pray that you would use this time for your glorious purposes in our life. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Did I tell you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8? I did, didn't I? So now I'm assuming that you're there. So let's go ahead and read all of Acts chapter 8. Actually, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. You know why? Because we're not going to get to the whole chapter today. There's no way that I can. I'd have to break it up in, in at least two segments. So instead of going through the whole chapter, we're going to go through half of the chapter, and then I'm going to ask you to read the rest of the chapter, which I will reference, and you're probably aware of if you've been reading the Bible for a long time. But let's go ahead and read half of the chapter, and then we'll go from there. Here's what it says, verse 1, Acts chapter 8. It says, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him, being Stephen, to death. And on that day, great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation or mourning over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, or some translations say bringing destruction to or wreaking havoc upon the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, and he would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down into the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip, and they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in the city. I'm sure there was. Now there was a man named Simon who had formerly practiced magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all from smallest to greatest were giving attention to him saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. Some translations would help us understand that Simon himself claimed to be God or so united with God that they would basically associate him as God. So this was a deep confusion on their part. This is how they thought of him. They, they thought of him as one who was, had the great power of God or was potentially God himself. Verse 11, and they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. They came down and prayed for the believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit. 
for he had not yet fallen upon any of them, and they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourself, so that nothing of what you said may come upon me. And after this passage, we read about this Ethiopian eunuch that Philip has an encounter with and really leads him to the Lord and baptizes him. So we won't go over that today because I, when I preach the book of Acts, actually that is one message. I talk about evangelism and I, t- I talk about how to approach people, all kinds of stuff. So that verse 25 all the way to verse 40 is a message in and of itself. But what we do want to focus on is verse 1 through 24. There's a lot going on here, so let's go ahead and just start with my commentary in verse 1. It says specifically, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. Now, this this means that we have to understand Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 is where Stephen is in front of the Sanhedrin. We know Pastor Jared talked to us about that yesterday. And as he's in front of the Sanhedrin, he's giving his appeal about who Jesus is and that they crucified Jesus. So you can imagine they're getting so angry that they want to put him to death. It references those that are listening as they were they were the, the gnashing of their teeth. They were so angry. And so this anger caused them to say, we're going to kill him. And here we have Saul of Tarsus, who we later know in the next chapter, we'll read about him, that he literally is the apostle Paul as we know him. Saul of Tarsus is one of them, and he basically gives hearty agreement to the murder of this man, Stephen. And so we, we're going to talk more about him quite a bit, actually. But it's important for us to remember Galatians chapter 1, and I think it's also going to be noted in Philippians chapter 3, I think it is. Galatians 1, Philippians 3, this is where the Apostle Paul says that he intensely persecuted the church. And we read about that here. I don't know if... if, um, any of us would want that on our resume. We would want that in our history. That's on the, uh, the record of account of our testimony that we were intense persecutors of the church. But that's Saul. We're introduced to Saul of Tarsus, later becoming the Apostle Paul, as one who gave agreement or his hearty amen to the death of Stephen. And so this is in his history. This is what he has to overcome. This is what God has to forgive him of. And it's one of those moments where you and I just have to recognize that no matter what we have done, God will not only forgive us, but he will transform us to be his messengers to those that need the good news of Jesus. So no matter who you are or where you come from or what you've done, this is something that you can see very clearly from Scripture that God is not partial in any way. Anybody that'll come to God, he will change their life, turn them around, 
and set them on a path to bring glory to the name of Jesus. So we can take great encouragement from that today. It goes on to say, and on that day, great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, there's a couple things I want to bring up here. Number one, Acts chapter one and verse eight, Jesus specifically says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will receive, or you will, you, you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Now you remember that passage. This is what power was for. You're going to need power to be a witness of me and you're going to go ahead and be a witness in Jerusalem, which is where they are, Judea and Samaria. Now it says right here that because of persecution, the church, thousands of believers were pushed out into Judea and Samaria. So guess what happens in Judea and Samaria? Believers become a witness of Jesus, and as a result of that, people come to Christ. And that's what we're going to read about in the book of Acts. Here's a principle. Sometimes the thing that looks like it's against us is actually for God's purpose in us. In other words, if we were to choose how we were going to go about spreading the gospel, we would sit down and develop this strategy of how we're going to take the city for Jesus and how we're going to talk to people in the neighborhoods and the businesses and how we're going to provide services. And we're going to do all this stuff, right? We're going to build this strategy, sort of like a business plan. Here's how we're going to reach the city. And this was God's strategy. He gave them the power that they needed. Now they have what they need, but they need to go where God calls them. He already told them that the power is necessary for the gospel to be spread and you to be a witness in all these various regions, but they're in Jerusalem. So persecution comes. The first martyr, which is Stephen, he's killed because of his faith, because of him standing and giving testimony of Jesus, the risen Christ, the Messiah of Israel and the Gentiles. He tells them about this. They kill him. And now the church is scattered abroad into these places that Jesus said the church was supposed to go to be a witness of him. Sometimes the thing that looks like it is against us, maybe persecution, is what causes the church to move into its purpose. Church history shows us that we can often be behind in what God has called us to do. We can be doing other things. We can be focused on everything but what Jesus has called us to. Church history shows us that. We've got to just own it. We've got to be honest about it. Jesus, his last will and testament is go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I commanded you, and I'm with you in this mission. Jesus tells us what to do. Mark 16 says, go and preach the gospel to all creation. We know what to do. In fact, we know where to go. It's everywhere. He's called us to go everywhere. So if we live in Federal Way or we live in Auburn or we live in Kent, it's in that place that God has called us to bring his good news. But that does not mean that's what we're doing. And so sometimes persecution will come upon the church. And although it looks like it's shattering everything that we're about, the reality is it might be the catalyst to do the thing that he's called us to do originally. So while we don't While we don't want persecution, we understand that when persecution comes, it can become the catalyst for the church to thrive and align ourselves back with the original purpose of God. And that is literally what happens here. In fact, it happens in the book of Acts throughout the book of Acts. 
So I just want to remind you that we might be in a time where we feel like our purpose has been thwarted, but maybe God's purpose has never been thwarted. In fact, God's purpose is now enhanced in our lives because we are going to go and do what he's called us to, and we have everything we need to do it. And so these believers are scattered abroad, and they're now in Judea and Samaria. And it says here in verse two, some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. Now that's important. It's probably some pious Jews that are giving lamentation. They're mourning for him. But remember that in many parts, it's usually illegal to mourn the death of an executed criminal. So whoever they were, it seems like this might've been one of those things where they may not have been commissioned to do something like that. Verse three, but Saul began ravaging or wreaking havoc against the church. This word in Greek, ravaging or wreaking havoc, is used for wild animals tearing someone apart. He, he begins to go into their homes. He drags off men and women. I mean, only a vicious person is going to drag off men and women and children and put them in prison. And that's exactly what he does. He's a vicious persecutor of the church. And the word that's used there is like wild animals tearing apart an, an individual. That's what he's doing. He's tearing the church apart. And we know he does not know what he's doing. He thinks what he's doing is right and righteous, but God's going to show him in the next chapter that he is doing the absolute wrong thing at the time that he's doing it. Verse 4, therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Isn't this a testimony of Jesus for when the church is pushed into a place of, of inconvenience, based on persecution, based on difficulty. Hey, you know what? We're going to turn a prison sentence into a ministry opportunity. That's what Paul did. That's what the church of Jesus did. That's what we need to do. Come on. Every time that we are pushed out in inconvenience, in opposition, in persecution, we've got to remember our root system. What this goes back to for us as Christians, we are resilient. We are filled with the Spirit. We have the Word of God. We know who we are. We know what we're supposed to do. And so we've got to reach back into our root system, hear the call of Christ, and realize that every inconvenience, every difficulty, every persecution or moment of persecution is actually a moment for us to shine the light and the love and the gospel of Jesus to those that have yet to know him. It's also a moment for us to be the example that God has called us to be. His word says that we are a light. In, we're the light of the world. We're, a, we're like that, that light, that city on a hill that cannot be hidden, and it should not be hidden. We got to remember who we are, and this is a moment for us to shine. And listen, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to pump you up. I'm saying this because it's true. I'm saying this because we need to remind ourselves. We need to, the Bible says we need to provoke one another to love and to good deeds. We've got to love our neighbor. And loving our neighbor is not just some passive thing that we hope people see. It's an active thing. Now, I know it's in the day that we're living in, it seems like the theology of loving our neighbor has been reduced to whether or not we're going to wear a mask or something like that based on requirements or the world that we're living in. But let me just tell you, 
Loving your neighbor as defined by Jesus is where we go out of our way to minister to the needs of people that are clearly in need. Now, for me, the first thing that we need to be doing is we need to bring the gospel of Jesus to people. I don't know why the theology of today has subjected us to this view of loving your neighbor as, as simply just... Now, listen, we should, you know, wearing a mask, I wear a mask. To, to love people. But if that's what loving your neighbor means, we've got to go back to the Bible. Loving your neighbor means that you care about their eternal condition. People are on their way to hell, separation from God. And so no, loving your neighbor is not just wearing a mask, being courteous and being kind. Yes, we ought to do those things. Yes, I practice those things. But that is not a proper theology of loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor means that you care about the eternal their eternal condition and where their soul is going to be when they die. Loving your neighbor means that you see people that are in a place where they absolutely need your help and you go to their aid. That's what Jesus talked about when he gave us the parable of the Good Samaritan. It was that all these other people walked by this person that was so clearly in need of help, but the one person who loved their neighbor was the person that inconvenienced their life. It wasn't just principally, it was practically, and they went and they helped that individual at their own cost. And so, yes, the principle is there, absolutely. We want to do maybe the smaller things that, for some reason, people you know don't like to be inconvenienced. That's fine, but we've got to make sure that that theology of loving our neighbor is robust, that it's actually something that means more, that costs more, and that includes the eternal, the, the eternal state of someone's soul. And so I just want to make sure we, we broaden our understanding of that in, in the pandemic days, the 2020 days that we're in, where things seem to be polarized and politicized. We've got to go beyond that. We've got to go so far beyond that and go back into the scriptures and see that the believers, man, when persecution came, they started preaching the gospel. Let's challenge ourselves today. Do we preach the gospel in a time of of difficulty and persecution and inconvenience? Are are we looking at people saying, "Man, you need the you need to know Jesus." You know, we've got to go back to that. That's not just evangelist Ben talking. That's not just for the evangelist. That's not just for the preacher or the pastor. That's for the body of Christ. That's for all of us. I'm not you and you're not me, but all of us take part and we share in the responsibility of bringing Jesus to people and people to Jesus, no matter what it's like in the world that we're living in. This is part of our vision and it must be our passion. It must be our passion. Come on, I'm preaching to you today. You know it's true. Just go ahead and own what I'm saying and say amen. Verse 5, we see Philip went down into the city of Samaria, and he began proclaiming Christ to them. Now, you remember Philip. We read about Philip in Acts chapter 6. This is when the apostles appointed seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to distribute food to the widows. Isn't it amazing how we talked about if you're faithful to what God puts in front of you, he will give you more. This is an exact manifestation of that very truth that we talked about just two days ago, that here are these men. We have Stephen, who's the first martyr of the church, and now we have Philip. Philip was a distributor of food among the widows. He was faithful to that, and now God, in the scattering of believers, anoints him to be an evangelist in the city of Samaria, and he stirs up that city 
to come to Christ. It's incredible. He's proclaiming Christ to them in Samaria. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what he said as they heard and they saw the signs that he was performing. What signs? He was performing signs, wonders, and miracles as he preached the gospel of Jesus to them. We know that the signs he was performing was he was healing the sick and he was casting out demons. It says, for in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. Well, healing and deliverance is the ministry of Jesus. It's also the ministry of the apostles. It was the ministry of Philip, and now it is the ministry of the church. We've got to go back to believing that Jesus has given us authority and power to cast out demons and to heal the sick. Those who believe that begin to enter into that dimension of ministry. It's something that we've taught at our church and we've taught through our ministry for many, many years. And those who believe that and latch onto it, it necessitates then the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can be a witness of Jesus and preach his gospel. And he will accompany his gospel with power to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And also bring people to a place of repentance. You and I don't have slick words or convincing arguments to make people saved. We preach and there's power when we preach because the message of the gospel has power. It's not just words, it's a message of truth. It's, a, it's truth that resonates in the heart and the soul of people when they hear it. And you've got to remember that. It's a hard sell if we're just trying to convince people in the natural. But we know, spiritually speaking, that there is power released when we begin to talk about Jesus, who was crucified, who was buried, who rose again, and he gives forgiveness to those that come to him by faith, and he gives us eternal life as we are reconciled to our heavenly Father. Remember the gospel has power, and we see that power manifesting here through the life of Philip. And it says here, as we continue to read the story, so there was much rejoicing in that city. People are getting saved, delivered, healed. This is what we want to see in Federal Way and beyond. Also, verse 9, now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city, astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. Now, the practice of magic or sorcery was something that they had for many years. We're talking about the practice of the occult. We're talking about levels of astrology, and it's sort of it's sort of mixed. Some people actually say the church fathers believe that Simon was one of the founders of Gnosticism. I can't verify that, but there are scholars that believe this. So Simon had a history in the city. He was clearly a person that practiced magic of an occult, occult, occult nature because there was some level of power that was being released in his life. People weren't following him just because he had a slick argument. There was some level of power there. But when Simon saw Philip, he said, man, this power is greater than what I know. And so many believed upon Jesus through the ministry of Philip, and it says Simon believed as well. But we read Simon didn't just believe like others believed, and they were baptized and all of that. Simon wanted something out of the deal. Simon had ulterior motives, and that's actually what we read about. When, when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and he observed signs and great miracles taking place, and he was constantly amazed. He became a follower. He followed Philip wherever that he went. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, 
who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, depending upon what commentary you read, you're going to read some people would say that it was at this moment when Peter and John laid their hands on the believers here in Samaria that it was at that point they actually became saved um, because they believe the baptism with the Holy Spirit is synonymous with salvation. But me being Pentecostal in my theology, I see these as two different things. Now, let me explain this because verse 16 is very key. He says, for he, meaning the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen upon them. All right, so we got to go back to our theology of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 20 and verse 21, Jesus approaches his apostles, his disciples after his resurrection. And he says, it says he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. That word, the grammar receive means receive into yourself the Holy Spirit. So we believe that the apostles in that moment upon Jesus's resurrection and that encounter, they received into themselves the Holy Spirit. They were born again. Clearly, they believed upon Jesus. They saw the resurrected Christ. So they believed upon him. They received the Holy Spirit, and they had that indwelling presence. But that is not the same as being baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit, because Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter 2, they're all in this place, this upper room in one accord, or it could have been in the temple area. And so they're waiting upon the Lord, and it says that there is a, a violent rushing wind, and there's this sound of heaven all of a sudden, and there's this manif supernatural manifestation, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with new tongues, and diff 13 different dialects were spoken. This was the promise of the Father, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important that we don't misunderstand what's happening. The Holy Spirit, when we believe upon Jesus, will come and live inside of us. He breathes life into us, and we are born again. The theological term is we are regenerated. We have the Holy Spirit, the precious indwelling presence of the Spirit. But the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the word baptism is a Greek word, baptizo. It means to be immersed, to be dipped, to be thoroughly saturated and covered. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit means that we receive His power. We are activated with the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of God who already dwells in us activates our lifestyle with power to look like and act like Jesus, that outwardly we can do what Jesus did. There's a boldness to preach the gospel. There's also confidence and faith to pray and to see miracles, signs, and wonders just like Jesus did, just like we read about from Philip. And so it's important for us to recognize that sometimes these terms can seem synonymous receiving the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being baptized with the Holy Spirit. But this small indication in verse 16 shows us that when the believers here in Samaria, it's when they believed upon Jesus and they were baptized, of course they received the Holy Spirit. Yes, they received the Holy Spirit, the indwelling presence. But in verse 16, it says, Peter and John came down and they laid their hands on them because the Holy Spirit, quote, had not yet fallen upon them. This is sort of this outward anointing. Now, you've got to remember, back in the Old Testament, when the anointing would come upon someone, it was for service. 
it was not the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit making one born again. It was that if someone needed the power of the Spirit, they could then do the assignment that they were given. This was outward power manifesting so they could prophesy or they could perform some miracle. They could do something that God had anointed them to do. But no, they did not have the indwelling presence, the sealing of the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. This is salvation. They did not have that. So what we have when we believe on Jesus is the internal indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. But there is something yet to be done. As a Pentecostal, I subscribe to this theology. Not only is it my experience, but it's the experience of millions across the world. And I believe it is the best reading of Scripture to help us understand there's a difference between receiving the indwelling presence of the Spirit to be born again and receiving the power or the activation of the Holy Spirit. And this leads me to a statement that we must understand. The Holy Spirit does more than one thing. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and to bring us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit seals us internally. His presence dwells within us when we believe upon Jesus, and He seals us into the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit also releases gifts into our life that we could continue to build up the church and manifest His power among people who have yet to know Him. The Holy Spirit also teaches us. He reveals Jesus to us. He guides us into all truth. He baptizes us with power. Don't get confused when we see different things that the Holy Spirit does. So we can't confuse and say, well, this is all the same thing. Receiving the Holy Spirit always means the same thing. There are small terms that help us to understand exactly what he is doing when he is doing it. At this point, we see that they pray and they lay hands on the, the believers so that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit, not just baptized into the name of Jesus. Verse 17, they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit or the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And, and so this means something very specific. It means that Simon saw something outwardly that was happening when people were receiving the power of the Spirit. So whether they were speaking in new tongues or they were prophesying, something was clearly happening. We don't know what because the Bible doesn't say. But this, this also brings me to a point. If you've received Jesus, if you believe upon him, the resurrected Christ, you're born again. You have the Holy Spirit. But maybe you're watching and you're listening to me and you don't know if you've been empowered with the Holy Spirit, that you've received the baptism, the immersion of his power. You say, Ben, I don't know if I've received that. I'll tell you what, if you have, you know. If you haven't, you're not sure or you're sure that you haven't. This is how we can be sure. Something has happened that differentiated where you were and where you are. When I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, I received his power. I was already saved. I received his power, and the next day was totally different. I knew it. It wasn't like I was a rock star for Jesus. It wasn't like um, you know I was all of a sudden the Apostle Paul, but I had a new boldness in my life. I didn't speak with tongues uh, or spiritual language when I received the baptism with the Holy Spirit. That came six months later. But for many, you know, 80%, 75% of people, when they're baptized with the Holy Spirit, they do speak with new tongues. But there are many like myself who don't, because that's not necessarily the initial evidence. 
It's an initial evidence. It's an immediate evidence that the Holy Spirit has baptized you. For most of us, that's what happens. For, for some of us, that's not what happens. But so let me tell you this. If you're not sure if you've been baptized with the power of the Spirit, you can be sure. And I would encourage you to go to God and begin to pray. You say, Ben, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Man, take a day of fasting. Look at the scriptures. Say, God, I want to be baptized with your power. What are you asking for when you're asking to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? You're asking for God to invade your life in such a way where you can do what Jesus did. You can share the gospel. You say to me, well, Ben, I'm, a, I'm an introvert. Well, you know what? You might be an introvert, but you can share the gospel. You need the power of the Spirit. When Jesus said to the disciples, wait in Jerusalem, and you wait there until the power comes, he knew that what he told them to do, they couldn't do without the power of the Spirit. You and I are exactly the same. We cannot do what Jesus calls us to do without the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've got to cry out to God to baptize us, and by faith, he will do that. And here's the other thing I want to say. He will cause us to release a spiritual language. This is something that people get confused about quite a bit. Maybe some of you, you think, this is strange. I get weirded out by the idea of speaking in tongues. You know, maybe you went to a church and it was super strange. It was super weird. But let me tell you, speaking in a spiritual language is actually very simple. A lot of times we get confused. We think God is going to make us speak in tongues. He's going to force us. And if I don't get forced to do it and it hasn't happened, well, then it's not going to happen. It's not true. What I had to learn in the six months from the time I was baptized in the Spirit until the time that I actually began to pray in the Spirit, pray in another language, I had to learn that I just had to yield myself to God like a child. Honestly, not childishness, but childlikeness. I had to yield myself because it doesn't make sense in my mind that I would speak in a language that I do not know, that I would yield myself to syllables that come out of my mouth that make me feel like I'm talking gibberish. What I learned was that the Lord will take that childlikeness and he will use it in a way that may not make sense to my mind, but spiritually I'm acting by faith. And as I begin to step out and pray, these simple syllables. That's what it is. You, you begin to pray. You surrender your tongue and you begin to pray these simple syllables that come to your mind. It, it makes a lot of people feel like, am I faking it? Am I making this up? No, you're not. You're acting in faith. So Pastor Ben, how do I do it? You ask the Holy Spirit to baptize you. And at the same time, you can say, and Lord, I'm asking that you would release my spiritual language. Pastor Ben talked about it eight out of 10 times in the Bible, or six out of eight times, sorry, six out of the eight times in the book of Acts, when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in another language. So you and I can do the same thing. First Corinthians chapter 14, the apostle Paul, he says, I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than you all. And I wish that all of you spoke in tongues. So I want to say to you today, I wish that everyone spoke in tongues. No, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to love people better and you're going to be a super Christian and you're going to be the best Christian on your block and you're going to get some badge of honor in our church. But it means that you're open to a new dimension of prayer and it causes a boldness to rise up in you. And that's what I want to encourage you to. Maybe you have the gift of tongues or you have the spiritual language, but you don't pray in the spirit very much anymore. Can I encourage you to spend some time praying in the spirit? I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit to empower that part of your life again. Begin to stir up yourself in the Holy Spirit and say, I want to pray in the spirit. Take five, six, seven minutes, pray in the spirit. I pray in the spirit 
every day. I pray in the spirit when I'm walking down the aisle in the store. I know you're going to think whatever you think of me, but I'm just telling you the truth. I pray in the spirit when I pray for my family. I pray in the spirit when I pray for our church. I pray in that language that God has given me. And I'm thankful for that language. I've come to appreciate that language. And honestly, sometimes I pray in different languages because it's developed over time and God will release those new syllables just like a new language will come, like you're learning a new language and you're trying it out. It's sort of what it feels like. God's not gonna force you to do that. You're not gonna fall on the ground for the most part and start pumping out some new language and you go, oh, that's what it is. Maybe that happens to some people, it does, but for the most part, it's not gonna happen to most of us. What's going to happen is we surrender our tongue, we yield our hearts, and we say, Lord, I don't understand this, but I wanna enter into this by faith based on your word. And it is in that moment, if you wanna do it by yourself, in your room or wherever you are, you can begin to surrender your heart and surrender yourself to this gift that God will give to you. He'll enable it. And you begin to pray the syllables that come to your mind. It starts very small and it feels kind of silly. But as you begin to pray, and just trust me on this, as you begin to pray, as you begin to say these syllables, and it might seem silly, God will develop that. You got to start small and you've got to start somewhere. When you do, God will, be, God will begin to grow that language in your life. That's exactly how it started for me. In fact, let me tell you, I was frustrated for six months. I had my Assembly of God friends telling me, hey, you're not baptized in the Spirit because you don't speak in tongues. And I was like, yes, I am. I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit because I was clearly saved. And then I had a moment where I encountered the Lord and my body just like vibrated like I had electricity go through it. And I was different after that. I mean, I really did experience the power of the Spirit. And I was bolder and I could tell that I wanted to share the gospel more. And I prophesied and I was seeing visions and dreaming dreams. And there's no doubt I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, but I hadn't released my spiritual language. And so they were telling me it hadn't happened. I knew it had happened. So it was kind of a justification, like I don't need tongues. And sometimes that's what people will do today. They're like, well, you don't need to have tongues. Listen, don't go down that road. You want everything that God has for you. You want every, I want, I want to manifest all the gifts. I want everything that the Bible says that Jesus says is for us and that scripture teaches to us. I want all of it. So don't have an attitude of against, have an attitude of for. And so if you've ever been put down by somebody, some spiritual elitist, some Pentecostal hoopla where a person was trying to pressure you, if you've had people lay hands on you and try to push you down and command you to do this or that, you know, just forgive those people, but don't, don't take this word lightly. Listen, the Bible's still true even when people have messed it up, right? You've done that. I've done that. People have done crazy things, dumb things. They should repent for that. They should ask for forgiveness. They shouldn't put the name of Jesus on everything. They shouldn't call everything the Holy Spirit, but they're not my Bible and they're not Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to come to the Lord based on his word, and we're going to say, I see it in your word, Lord. I want you to do it in me. This is what I need. This is what I want. I want everything that you have for me, and I don't want anybody to get in the way. So Lord, I just forgive that person, and I pray, Lord, you'd help them to do what they need to do. But what I need is I need everything you have for me, and I want to speak in a spiritual language. I want that dimension of prayer opened up to me. I want to be more bold in the spirit. I want to be more bold in my prayer closet. And Lord, I don't understand that. And so I'm just going to yield to you. And if you have that heart and right in that moment, right in that place, here's what the Lord will do. He'll take our childlike faith 
And as we step out, and this is what I mean, you start stepping out and you start speaking very simply. You say, Ben, I don't know how to do that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You could make up a language if you wanted to. And that's not what I'm advocating, but I'm saying you could step out by faith. There's a language that will emerge. It's going to feel silly. As you do that, the Holy Spirit will start developing that language and you'll get bolder and bolder and it starts to make sense. It won't make sense on this side of the fence, but when you jump on and over the fence and you begin to exercise your faith in something you think might seem foolish and might seem silly, as you start to do that and you feel like you're making it up, God will use that faith and he'll expand that language. Bam, just like that. I've prayed for thousands of people probably to pray in the spirit. And everybody that I know of so far that I, that I can think of, um, I don't remember all of them, but I remember many people that I prayed for. And as I prayed for them to pray in the spirit, I can tell you so many of them did. And the reason was because I helped them understand that you yield to God as though you are a child. You depend upon him. You look to him. You trust what he's saying. And as you do that, he'll expand that language. And as that language expands, you begin to understand what you used to be frustrated about. And that's how it works. Honestly and sincerely, that's the way that it works. I wish I knew that in my six-month period. I was so frustrated by people trying to tell me what I had to do and what I didn't have that I was just started to build up a, like a case, like a lawyer against speaking in tongues. But the Lord broke me down. I was in my bedroom and I just was frustrated. And I said, Lord, I just want to speak in tongues. <laughs> and so I just somehow, some way, I didn't hear his voice, but he just simplified it in my mind. Well, then I just want you to speak out. And I'm like, speak out what? And he's like, I just want you to speak out. And so I started to speak out and it felt like I was making it up. But bam, within like, no joke, 20, 30 seconds, I didn't feel like I was making it up anymore. I started to speak out this beautiful language and it's developed ever since. I wanna encourage you. If you don't know if you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, I'm about to pray that you would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I'm asking you to join your faith with me and receive what God has. This is not about you being saved or not saved. If you already are a believer, you can be baptized with power. And the second thing I'm gonna encourage you to do is to pray out that spiritual language just as I directed you, just did that simple instruction. You can and God will enable you, but we believe him and that's where we start. So let's go ahead and pray together right now. Get ready. Come on, get a little comfortable. Let's pray for just a moment or two. I want to see what the Lord will do as a result of us trusting in his word. As we read about the believers in the past, we want to continue to be those believers in the present, posturing our hearts to God, receiving what he has, and spreading the gospel forward. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you today. I thank you for everybody that's watching, everybody that's listening, everybody that's tuning in. And Lord, I just pray that anybody that is a part of this broadcast right now or even listening later, I pray if they're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, right now I partner with them. And I just ask you that you would pour out your spirit upon their life, immerse them with your power. Right now, Lord, I pray that you would baptize them with the Holy Spirit, lay your hands upon them, that they would experience that activation of power right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that anybody that's been hurt or wounded or coerced or forced into something that did not represent the way that you do things, I pray, Lord, that you would cause forgiveness to enter into their heart and that they would see people as making a mistake, but they would not thwart your purpose in their life. I pray that, Lord, there would just be a new openness to what you wanna do right now in this moment. 
And I pray that, Lord, you would release spiritual language in Jesus' mighty name, that every person who's listening or watching that has not spoken in tongues, I pray that right now they would begin to speak in the Spirit, they would begin to pray in the Holy Spirit as you enable them right now. Right now, Lord, I just pray that as they're listening and as they're watching, that you would begin to enable that just simply. Make it simple, simplify it, give us childlike faith to yield to you. We yield our tongue, we surrender our tongue, and we surrender our intellect. You gave us our intellect, but it's not something that we can just simply intellectually understand. So we surrender ourselves to you right now, and I pray that in Jesus' name, that everyone who has not received a spiritual language would receive one right now that's, that's, that's listening, that's watching. Thank you, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray in the name of Jesus for a supernatural exchange to happen right now. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, right now. So begin to pray. If, if you're listening or watching, whether this is today or a different day, I pray right now. Just, just begin to pray out syllables. Just yield your heart, yield your mind. It might feel silly, but go ahead. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Yeah, we worship you. Yes, we worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray that they would receive. Anybody that hasn't, they would receive right now. Worship you. Thank you, Lord. Yep, we ask for that now. Give us boldness to represent you well. Mighty God, thank you, Lord. Boldness, boldness, boldness. In Jesus' name, we yield to you today. And we thank you, Lord, for what you do. We want to be open and available for everything that you have. And I pray for all of our church and all of our friends and everyone. We are not going to lose the doctrine of the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We are not going to lose speaking in tongues. We ask that you would revitalize this gift, this enablement in each one of us today, that we would pray in the Holy Spirit when we're in the store, when we're in the car, when we're in our secret place, when we're in the public place. And yes, we want to do everything decently and in order. So as we speak to you, we speak mysteries with our spirit. And as we speak one to another, we seek an interpretation. And so I just ask you, right now, Lord, that you would give us understanding and wisdom to flow the way you call us to. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Hey, God bless you today. Listen, if you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit as a as as you're watching this, as you're participating with this, why don't you go ahead and send me an email, ben at nwcfoursquare.org. You say, I don't know if this has happened to me. Something's happening to me. Send me an email. I want to know about it. Also, would you go ahead and send an email and say, Ben, I received my prayer language. Man, it was really simple. God made it simple, just like you talked about. I want you to type it right there. Type it right there in the comments. Type it right there in the, the comments section, wherever you are, YouTube, Facebook, live stream. We want to hear from you. Also, you can send me an email, and I'd love to dialogue with you. I'd love to get some materials to you. I want to make sure that you're continue, you continue to be strengthened and instructed in the Lord as you follow Him. Let's go ahead and do what we read about today. As things get difficult, as things get tough, as, as persecution may or may not happen, when we receive any kind of opposition, let's spread the gospel of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.